0: Full disclosure, this is hard tonight for me. Um, And it also feels like such a privilege that, um, yeah, to have this chance just to be in this space with all of you and to share um, these words that have been on my heart for my community that now resonate in a different way um, after the week that we've been through. So um, I'm really glad to be here. I'm going to start just by reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. I've been holding these words this week um, because I think there's something so powerful In those metaphors. Though the earth give way, though the mountains fall, still, still God is with us. God is our refuge. God is our strength. Um, What I want to talk with us about, with you, about tonight is the fact that God speaks with us in creativity. A couple of weeks ago We talked about how we are made in the image of a creator God. And so we are creative. And we spent a good chunk of time with just me trying to convince you that that is true. We are all creative. And that looks a thousand different ways. That doesn't mean that all of us can pick up a pen and draw something that looks like something that everybody recognizes. But uh, God speaks to us when we create And that might be in art, that might be in poetry, that might be in woodworking, that might be in creating hospitable places to invite people in. It can look a thousand different ways. But I think there's something unique about art, about poetry, um, about creativity, because it allows us to talk with God. It allows us to communicate with God. And the psalms are a great example of that. We might each hear the words of that psalm and and resonate with it in a slightly different way. Because metaphor, art, poetry can hold multiple meanings at the same time. Creativity really is a way that we speak our love to God and that God speaks back to us. I want to tell you a little bit of my own story, Um, and a lot of you have heard pieces of this before, but um, I didn't always feel like an artist, and I certainly didn't always feel like art was a way to communicate with God. Um, About, gosh, 13 years ago now, um, I graduated from college in May, and finished up my student teaching in June. Dave and I got married in July, moved to California in August, and I started my first job in September. Um, It was a really big summer with a lot of transition. And um, Dave and I were living in Pasadena. He was going to grad school, and I would grade papers while he wrote them. Um, I got a job as a teacher, and he was going to seminary. And life was pretty much kind of clipping along how I had hoped Um, we Spent some time traveling in the summers when we were both off. We were living on a shoestring, but it was a really fun shoestring. Um, And then maybe three to five years later, we decided that we were ready to grow our family. And um, naive as we were, we thought, well, we'll start trying, you know, at the right time of year so that our first baby will be born right around spring break so I can have the rest of the year off and then we'll have the summer to decide if I'm going to go back to teaching or not. And um, needless to say, family planning doesn't always work that way. Uh, Maybe they could come up with another word because the planning part... Often seems to not work quite how you might think, um, so month after month went by, and um, we still weren't pregnant and I um, as we really journeyed through infertility for a year and a half, two years, it started to have a huge effect on my identity because becoming a mother was such an enormous part of what I thought I was supposed to become and wanted to become. And around that same time, um, infertility started to cause depression, and then one of my closest friends decided she needed to walk away from our friendship um, because it was too much for her. And so I felt like everything that I counted on was being stripped away. Um, My plan for my life was derailed. My emotional stability was not what I thought it was supposed to be. Um, My friendships were um, not the faithful ones that I expected them to be. And I felt like I didn't know what to do with God. Because I knew that God loved me. I believed that. I did. And yet... I didn't feel it. What I felt was that God was angry with me because I wasn't handling all of this better. Um, I felt afraid, to be honest. I was so afraid of the darkness inside of me. I didn't want to look at it. And for a little while, I was like, maybe I can just not. Maybe I can um, just, you know, be stay busy, not be by myself very much, just, you know, live life on the surface. Um, but that doesn't work very well for very long. So I needed to find God in new ways. And what I realized was that, um, and this, you know, I say I realized like it happened quick. Through like a year of therapy, so, you know, not quick, (laughs) but through a lot of work and effort, um, what I started to realize was that the way that I had met with God had always looked more or less the same. And it was very um, structured and linear and analytical. Um, I would read my Bible the same way, one chapter at a time. And I would pray the same way, a monologue for me to God. And I would journal the same way, in complete sentences, on a journal with lines. Um, I was an English teacher after all. And those things didn't work when my life exploded because I didn't have words for what I was feeling. And I've been feeling a lot that way this week, like... I'm grateful, and I am scared, and I am angry, and I'm feeling so, so much that I can't just write it in my journal. I can't put pen to paper about it because I don't have words to capture what's going on inside of me. And yet, I needed to find a way to talk with God about it anyway. I needed to find a way to be with God, to open very slowly, very cautiously this like box full of darkness inside of me and to allow God to very slowly shed little bits of light in there. I couldn't open it and look at it all at once because I didn't understand it and because it was scary, this darkness, this, this depression I was feeling. And so for me, I began with poetry um, reading it and then later writing it and I want to just read a little bit about that because um, I wrote about this once and um, what I was feeling in that season was I don't, know how to, I don't know how to analyze this so I have to go about processing it in a different way. I can't just like categorize my emotions, label them, put them away and then they're gone. So this is what poetry does for me. Poetry unfolds me. It gives me words when I have none. Poems say what cannot be said, define what cannot be defined. And in so doing, they open me to mystery, to questions, to my own heart. Poems attempt to express the inexpressible, reach down inside my soul and lay things open. They shine lights into deep places and help me see. They are not spotlight nor flashlight, but candlelight. They help me to distinguish what moves in the shadows. In them, I glimpse what lurks inside my heart. I was afraid in those days that if I looked too hard at my own soul, I would see something beyond redemption. But the light of a poem is safe, its way gentle. Poems let me move cautiously in the shadows, lighting the way just enough. By speaking to God and listening for God in poetry, I was able to begin to process what I was feeling without having to figure it all out. I could offer them to God in this raw, messy form without having to understand So when we sing songs like we did tonight about God's love crashing in wave after wave, sometimes um, those words, those metaphors allow us to communicate when we can't really name what we're feeling. Um, There's another psalm, Psalm 69, uh, that says this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths. Where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched, my eyes fail looking for my God. The psalmist didn't mince words about what they were feeling, right? There's this desperation in this cry. And some of the Psalms take a turn and they end with hope. And some of them don't. Some of them just stay there in this space. And what I think is so amazing about God is that God is big enough for that. God doesn't need us to, like, couch what we're feeling and, like, but, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. God can handle the raw, messy anger and grief, whatever it is that we need to get out. God is big enough to catch that and to hold it with love and with tenderness. I wrote a lot of poetry in that season, um, and it, you know, I'm going to read you two poems um, One that gets at the hopelessness, and then in a moment I'll read another um, that started to unpack some of the hope that did come. This first poem is called Hope, though it was in a season that felt very hopeless. Where is joy? I looked on the mountainside, and it was there. I looked under the oak tree, and it was there. I looked behind the flower bed, and where was I? Trapped, lost, hidden, beneath the folds of hope turned hopeless. The ever-ending, never-ending story of hope found, hope lost. The sadness under, joy behind, which is at the core? The core is empty, black. Cacophony or symphony, I listen with muffled ears. In expressing these things to God and allowing my my processing to be raw and to be inexplicable, I was able to start to examine what was happening inside me in a way that felt safe. And those poems became a language, a language with which I spoke to God, and then a way that God started to speak back to me, which was really amazing. Um, not long after I wrote that poem, I wrote this one, and... Um, It's written in God's voice, though as I was writing it, I didn't really know that. And then the meaning sort of unfolded. God doesn't really speak to me audibly. That's not a thing I've ever experienced. But God does speak to me um, in words and in images. And um, I should, a caveat, I actually love winter. This poem is called I Am Winter. And I know that's kind of weird. I'm from Wisconsin. I think snow is magic. Um, But that'll give a little important context for this. I am winter. I am the bare black trees sharp against the softness of the blue-gray sky. I am the silent snow. Come, cross my white fields. Smell the biting air, the wool of your scarf wet with your breath as you carefully step across my icy river, tumbling softly over stones under snow. Smell the smoke from my chimney. I invite you in. Stomp your boots on my front porch. Shed your frosty layers in my entryway. Do you hear the teapot sing? It sings for you. Dry your socks at the fire in my living room. Until the stars fall from their inky chambers. You never have to leave. through art, through poetry, through discovering that spiritual practice could look so much broader, so much different than I had grown up with, I started to experience God's love for me in a profound new way. I started praying this psalm um, at night, particularly when I was awake in the night, um, and I've stuck with that. Um, Psalm 63 says this, On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. What I love about these psalms is they're not platitudes. They don't say, everything's going to be fine. God has a plan. It's all going to work out. Because that's not always true. I wish it were, I do, but it's not. And yet, there is hope. There is redemption. I am so grateful. I got, just before we started tonight, Larry showed me this video of Ryan walking. And it's just so amazing. He has a long road, but he is on it. And there is so much grace in that, and mercy in that, and redemption in that. But it doesn't mean that this isn't hard. It doesn't mean that we didn't go through trauma together, because we did. And so I think um, what I love about these psalms is that they they offer these images of comfort that don't have to be easy answers. They're things to wrestle with. I might not be able to say right in this moment, everything's going to be fine, it's all great, but I can say I am like a little bird sheltered under God's wings like a baby bird with its mother. I'm held in the hand of my God. God speaks to us in so many ways. And I have started to understand art as prayer. So art is the way that we can listen and we can speak to God. And what I love about it is art helps me to tune my ears to the frequency at which God speaks. When I look at art as a spiritual practice, it doesn't mean necessarily that God gives me this like awesome message and it all comes out beautifully on the page. But when I take time to, to be still, um, to listen to God in word or image, which is what it is for me. It might be totally different for you. It might be like woodworking or it might be baking. It might be anything. But when I look at that as a spiritual practice, as tuning time to listen to God's voice... I start to notice the way that God speaks to me throughout my days. All of a sudden, seeing a ladybug is meaningful or finding a feather on the ground carries this other meaning because I'm starting to look for the ways that God speaks to us in all things. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor as a, a theologian. She talks about God as the luminous web which holds all things together. And as we start to um, look for the signs of that luminous web of God that just weaves our stories together, weaves this earth together, we see them more and more. I used to think that contemplative prayer was something for people who had a lot of time on their hands. Um, But then I've learned since that actually nobody has that much time on their hands. We all have the same amount. So um, I'm starting to realize that it's something that I need, contemplative prayers, time of silence, time to listen. But that doesn't mean it always has to look the same way, head down, eyes folded, eyes folded, hands folded, eyes closed. And so my, my spiritual practice, my way of listening to God has shifted a lot. Um, for a while, I was spending six minutes in silence each day, and that was really meaningful, really powerful. Um, six minutes, you know, isn't that much, but in that season, so that, that's what I had to offer. But then we were, it was when we lived in L.A., and then all of a sudden we were moving here. We were coming to the Bay Area. I had, like, a thousand things on my to-do list. Didn't know how I could sit in silence because my brain was like, okay, and you have to double-check the rental of uh, the, the moving van, and you have to find out, you know, this and that, and what about the rental house? And I couldn't still my mind. But then I discovered that if my hands were busy, My mind could still. And so I started creating one small watercolor each day. And we have a photo of that. Um, I use washi tape to, like, make little boxes in my journal. And then um, often I'll read a psalm or, like, one verse of a psalm and write down a few words that jump out at me. And then I just play with color. I don't know that you could tell me, oh, paint a, you know, still life of these flowers and I could do it very well, but I can play with color and water. And it's so powerful to be able to sit and be still and watch the way that the color flows around the page and to allow your hands to be busy enough that your mind starts to still. And I feel held by God in those moments. Um, My journal went from complete sentences, um, you know, in a journal with lines to looking more like this. um, The next slide. It's collage and you know words here and there and I spend a lot of time flipping through like Martha Stewart Living magazines and just tearing out pages that I like and then I'll come back to them later and art doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes, um, I did this, uh, you can go to the next slide, on a vacation last year, my dad gave me a calendar, and I was in Wisconsin, and I was like, I don't have time for art, and then I was like, wait a minute, maybe I do. And every day, I read one verse, wrote down one phrase, and cut out one strip from that calendar. And the, word, the pairing of the image and the words allowed me to, um, to meditate in a way that I hadn't really before. God speaks to us uniquely in art. And here's why I think it's so powerful. Because art and creativity allow us to experience God's love in our bodies. I think so often we think that we speak to God in our minds and that our bodies are not part of that. And that is a lie. Our bodies are the way that we move through this world. God made flesh in Jesus. The incarnation shows us that God values our bodies. Our bodies matter. Our bodies are the way that we show love to people around us, whether it's through touch, through creating something to offer them. Our bodies are important. And when we take time to experience God through creativity, just like when we spend time in nature. We can smell and taste and feel God's love, not just think about it. A pastor and writer named Mandy Smith puts it like this. Jesus didn't only say, I love you. He lived it and died it. We can most certainly get truth through our ears, but we underestimate the ways we can get it through our eyes, and nerves, and even through our muscles. I could spend ten minutes calming my frightened child with dry words, but if I lift him into a warm bath, then pick him up and wrap him in a blue towel, I might reach parts of his mind and soul my words could never touch. His eyes and nerves and muscles would comprehend calm while his ears were still processing all the talk. Creativity makes space. For God to do this for us, it gets our eyes and our nerves and our muscles involved in our prayer. Sometimes, even wrapping myself in a favorite blanket and just sitting there is an act of prayer because it's allowing God to wrap love around me. I think um, in seasons of crisis or suffering or confusion, our prayer shifts. At least it does for me. My prayer this week has been a lot of, please help, please help, please help, please help. And sometimes um, prayer isn't even with words. I have this rock in my pocket that my friend Stephanie made, made me, gave me. She didn't make it. Um, And it's shaped like a heart and it fits in the palm of my hand. And I had it in my purse when I drove Caitlin to the emergency room. And I had no words. I didn't. But I clung to this like nothing else. And that was prayer for me in that moment. Just holding it. Holding it mindfully. Remembering God and just clinging to that love um, in that really hard moment. And prayer can involve anger um, Justin McRoberts, who is a cousin of Open Door, a friend of Open Door, wrote a guest post on my blog a couple months ago about anger as prayer. How do you pray your anger? And he gave some great invitations that involved movement um, and walking it out. And um, I can tell you more about it later if you want to read it. I um, I think joy times of joy, too, our prayer can be um, shifted and, and shaped differently. Um, I am not a dancer, like not, um, which if you've ever seen me at a party, you probably know that. Um, and yet sometimes movement, even if it's as simple as just standing with my hands raised... Or laying on the ground like a giant axe in a pose of total surrender allows me to experience and to pray with my body, experience God's love and pray to God with my body. Sometimes this hospitality, hospitality can be a prayerful expression of joy and celebration. We had a rest circle a number of years ago, um, and we talked about love languages. And um, if you're not familiar with love languages, basically somebody decided that there's five ways that we experience love. I think there might be six or seven, but, you know, there's five um, that this book talks about. And we talked about what would it look like to invite God to love us through the same love languages that we experience love from other people through. And so um, Erin Johansson was talking about how she is a big words of affirmation person, that that really speaks love to her. And so she told me I could share this. She went home after that circle and recorded herself reading words of scripture that spoke God's love over us. And then she listened to that every day um, on her phone. Um, I am a big gifts person, which is hard to admit because it feels super selfish, like give me presents. Um, uh, but it's not really about that <laughs> though I do. I, you know, you can, uh, but I love gifts. I love things because they're tangible reminders of something. In fact, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this or not, but I will. Um, I have two hair ties on my wrist and they've been on there, um, since Saturday last week. And, um, on Saturday morning, We were all at breakfast, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they haven't had cereal at every meal this year at the retreat like they did last year. My boys won't eat any of this food. I want to bring some cups of cereal back to um, our cabin so that I can have it for them later if they don't have cereal. So I filled up these two giant cups of uh, honey nut O's or something, and then I was like, now what am I going to do? They're going to fall over. So I got these napkins and put them over the top, and it was like, what do I do? What do I do? And Nick and Casey both had hair ties on their wrists, and they were like, here. It's like, oh, perfect, that's great. Um, and at the end of the day, after Ryan fell, um, I looked at, at Sawyer and Everett and just asked them, are you hungry? And they said, yeah. And I said, I have this cereal in my bag um, that I had with me in that moment and was able to offer um, something so simple um, to these boys who were so scared. And so I kept these hair ties, sorry guys, maybe I'll give them back someday. Maybe I won't. But they've been this tangible, physical, embodied reminder of God's provision. Because that was such an awful moment. And yet there was this small, tiny, tiny seed of of hope, of light, of provision in that. So what I want to do now um, as we end is just take a little bit of space for reflection Um, I meant to have paper and pens and I don't so I'm sorry you can uh, write if you have something to write with or write on but I think um, even just taking some silence to meditate on these things will be helpful Um, and I I think we can also post these questions on on social media later this week if you want to spend a little more time with them Um, with a pen and paper in your hand. So I'm going to invite us into some deep breaths Then I'm going to ask these questions and give you space to ponder and then I'll close this and and we'll enter the rest of worship. Let's start. You can close your eyes if you want. Um, and let's start by just feel the, the chair beneath you holding you up, feel your feet on the ground, um, Remember that you are a body and um, God speaks to you in your body, loves your body, um, made you in a body. Take a deep breath in and out and in and out. First question is This. What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for right now? Maybe it's something as simple as cereal or hair ties. The next question is this. What do you fear? What do you fear? We are not bound by fear, but it's hard to let go of it if you never name it talk with our kids sometimes about how secret things hold power over us. And when they say them, we say them aloud, they lose their power. So if you're feeling fear this week, um, I just invite you to to shed some light there with another person or even just alone with God. Name that fear and know that it doesn't hold you captive. and the last question is this it's a question for God God what do you hope for me in this season God what do you hope for me for us what comes to my mind around this question is what Dave mentioned at the beginning tonight um that we are such a family, and I am so grateful for that. When I was waiting in the ER and, and Caitlin had gotten to go back to finally see Ryan, um, at one point the receptionist came up and said, you're Ryan Latrell's family? And without hesitation, I just said yes, um, because that's what we are. And I I can see the ways already that um, in our creative response um, to caring for the Latrells, that God is weaving us together as family. And it's really beautiful. Let me pray for us, and then we'll move into a time of, of Eucharist and response and worship. God, I thank you. That your love is bigger than the ocean. I thank you that you hold us in that. I thank you that in you we live and move and have our being. And that even when we can't see you, you are there. Looking for you is like a fish looking for water. You are everywhere. And I trust that you are like the moon. The moon is round. And yet some nights we can't see it at all. And some nights it's just a sliver. But the moon is always there. The moon never dies. And you are like the moon. And we can surrender to the shadow that comes over us. And trust that the light will come back. Because you are good. And you don't give up on us. God, I just want to lift up this family that I love so well. I thank you, thank you, thank you that we have so much to celebrate tonight in Ryan's healing. And I also offer you the complexity of all the things that we're feeling because they're really complicated. And some of us have, have joys and things to celebrate right now that it feels like there's not space for. But there is because you can hold the complexity of both joy and sorrow at the same time. And others of us have things that we're struggling with that in the light of this week feel so small. But those things still matter. They're still real. They're still part of your story and our story. And I just ask that you would hold all of this and that you would guide us as we move forward one tiny step at a time, and that you would meet us. Meet each of us in exactly the way that we need. Give us what we need, Lord. I thank you for your love. Amen.